Hi, I'm Sally Prosser. Welcome to That Voice Podcast. Great to have you here. I believe your voice matters and deserves to be heard. I started this podcast to share free, practical tips to help you speak with more confidence, to grow your business, advance your career, and avoid totally freaking out about public speaking. As a former TV journalist and company spokesperson, qualified speech and drama teacher, TikToker, and general lover of life, I know firsthand about the power of showing up with confidence. Your voice is the soundtrack to your personal brand. Are you ready to turn it up? Hey, 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 welcome to episode 71 of That Voice Podcast. My beautiful guest today is Lisa Cox. Lisa's a writer, a speaker, an all-round lovely human who's out there changing the way disability is represented in mainstream pop culture. And she speaks from experience. At just 24, she was at Melbourne Airport and out of the blue had a brain hemorrhage. This put her in a coma and on life support with lots of physical challenges, including waking up and not being able to speak. I chat to Lisa about her experience in finding her voice again, not just the physical one, but the metaphorical voice too, to become such a strong leader in conversations around diversity and inclusion. I look forward to bringing you our chat very soon. But first, are you sick of getting nervous before speaking? Tired of saying ums and ahs and tripping over your words? Frustrated your voice sounds weak or boring? Imagine being able to confidently speak when called on. Hitting record and not doing 100 takes, captivating an audience with your voice. Sounds great, right? Then join my six-week voice makeover. Over six weeks, we dive into the fundamental steps you need to make an impact every time you speak. How to hack your mindset, how to tap into your body, control your breathing, literally speak from your heart, Form your words and phrases clearly and top it all off with beautiful expression. To make it happen, join my six-week voice makeover by heading to my website, sallyprosser.com.au or just click the link in the show notes. Look forward to seeing you there. Okay, let's dive into my chat with the wonderful Lisa Cox. Lisa Cox, a huge welcome to That Voice Podcast. Thanks so much, Sally. It's great to be here. So take us through what has been your experience of losing your voice? So when I was 24, I, I had my voice. I was, I was working in advertising quite happily. And then without any warning, one morning at Melbourne Airport, I had a brain hemorrhage or a stroke. Turns out that was caused by a rare version of streptovirus. So I spent three weeks in a coma two months on life support and over a year in the hospital after that. Um, my left leg, right toes and nine fingertips were amputated. Heart surgery and a total hip replacement came next. But I suppose they're the very physical things that, that you can see. I'm in a wheelchair and have a prosthetic leg. But the bigger challenges in my life are definitely the invisible disabilities. So my speech was affected. Um I slow my words a lot. I'm better in the mornings, but um, my speech was affected. I'm, I'm over 25% blind. So in the really early days, I had tubes coming from everywhere, a big tube in my throat and things like that. So I can't remember this time, but my parents have told me that to communicate, 
I would point at a board of letters, something like a keyboard, and spell out each word letter by letter. And that was how I would communicate. So I often um, have said at different presentations to all sorts of people that I'm so grateful for the opportunity to be speaking with them because something so simple that I, I certainly took for granted was taken away from me and as a bit of a chatterbox, uh, it was not a lot of fun. Yeah. Can you remember what it felt like to wake up and not be able to talk or form words like you used to? <clears throat> My goodness, speaking of not having a voice, I've just had a little small bout of a sore throat oh, for the last couple of days. Oh, no, I'm sorry not good that. for a voice coach. <laughs> It's one of those things, isn't it? We don't know what we've got until it's gone. That's exactly right. And, I mean, prior to this, I'd, I'd been a public speaker and debating and all, all sorts of fun things like that. So losing that tool was was a bit of a, a, bit of a downer. And um, as we explained off air, I, I lost my voice and had to find it both literally and metaphorically because learning to speak again was difficult but then also finding my voice in terms of being disability advocate as I am now uh speaking up and speaking my truth and saying the quite unpopular things sometimes and has certainly been a challenge as well but I don't have a very clear recollection of when I first came out of coma and was trying to communicate as I mentioned, even now my, my voice is still slurred sometimes and I, I joke with people that it sounds like I have a thick Scottish accent and unless you know me well and you know what means what, it can be difficult to understand me at some times of day. But, um, yeah, it's, it's been, a, been a bit of a journey, but learning to speak coherently again was a bit difficult and something that I still struggle with time to time, to be honest. Yes, I think everybody struggles to speak coherently yeah. <laughs> from time to time. I know I certainly do. So, Lisa, you are out there as a really strong voice for people with disabilities. You are just killing it. You're always out there looking amazing. I admire you so much. Take us through what are the challenges in finding that metaphorical voice the one thing I, I'll preface this by saying is that I never, ever have intended to speak on behalf of every single disabled person. I don't think anyone should, and I think it's really dangerous when people try to. But in terms of how best to go about it, I suppose people's expectations and um, the the desire to, to please everyone and get it all right, and am I allowed to swear? I don't know if I'm allowed to swear. So, yes, yes, this is a swear swear-friendly okay, podcast, I'll, all good. I'll, I won't put too many in, but um, this idea that I have to be a people pleaser and say the right thing that is everyone's going to agree with, I suppose, I, I have the understanding that not everybody is going to agree with me. Some people are going to absolutely hate what I say, and that's fine. That's, that's their opinion. They're entitled to it. Can you share with us any times where that's happened? Has there been a moment where you have said something and people haven't reacted so well? Um, oh, this is a, a very small example, but it can be around language. So in the disability sector, some people prefer certain words to be used and others don't. So I always try and 
you know, say this is this is my opinion or this is what I personally feel or have experienced, but obviously it's different for everybody else. So something as small as people with a disability versus disabled people or really small nuances like that in, in language structure can rub some people up the wrong way. So I do try to speak from my experiences only. Yeah, I think that's a really great example because it's one of those areas where everybody wants to be saying, for want of a better word, the right thing. Oh, for sure. And having spent the first 24 years of my life without a disability, I really wanted to say the right thing and be inclusive. And the person was terrified of stepping on someone's toes and offending people. So I absolutely understand and can empathise with non-disabled people today who maybe aren't quite sure what to say and don't want to offend me or anybody else. And that's why I collaborate these days with brands and businesses who genuinely want to be more inclusive and diverse, but just need a bit more bit more help around how to do it and without being tokenistic and offending people and being called out on Twitter and, <laughs> and things like that. Oh, gosh, it can be a bit of a minefield, can't it? I think it comes down to intention. I mean, I'm working with journalists at the moment for Media Diversity Australia, um, trying to educate them about the right language to use, something as small as Lisa is a wheelchair user instead of Lisa is a wheelchair bound or confined to a wheelchair. That's just one Mm. really small example because I know that journalists don't go out of their way to be absolute assholes. They're... They're great people. They just need that that education. So I think it's about intent. And if you know someone is had had no malice intended, then it's very different. Yeah, it's about education, isn't it? Because yeah. language does matter for sure. It you know, definitely matters. Yeah. And so now you're still speaking. I guess not so much with COVID. <laughs> no, it's, it's all been virtual. <laughs> I miss live audiences. I really do. I. I'd get a lot of energy from live audiences. And of course, it's it's much easier to read the room when you're in the room. So seeing blank Zoom screens up there or just, just pictures or initials or avatars, it became very difficult to, to know if, say, if the joke had landed or if you'd talk something to death and really needed to move on quickly or if people were raising their eyebrows or nodding and needed to explain things more. So... I'm really missing that sort of interaction that I would normally get from a live audience. Yeah, I totally hear you there. And have you been using any strategies to help you with that? Like I know I imagine the audience is in front of my computer screen. I imagine they're all loving it. I imagine they're all laughing at my jokes. I would certainly like to think that too. Some of the presentations are ones that I've done before when I did have a live audience. So I do have an idea of of what what is funny and what is not and and things like that and other times I I just either laugh at my own joke or assume that it's it's not funny just just keep moving along (laughs) and what about preparing your voice so do you do voice warm-ups um how do you prepare before a speaking engagement whether it be online or in person I I rehearse the presentation as, as best I can, I suppose. And uh, no specific voice warm-ups at the moment. I have tried some in the past, but it tends to be more a case of just saying things out loud how I want to 
how I want them to come across because obviously they sound quite different in my head and then when I say it out loud, I think, oh, geez, that's going to be taken out of context. So I think sometimes certain points are best are best said out loud. It helps my brain to, to process it a bit better too. I suppose what I, your audience probably knows this from my, my story, but I have a permanent brain injury now. So processing information, even if it's my own information and what I want to say, uh, that can be a bit difficult sometimes. So a bit of preparation certainly helps. Yeah, and I think the value of speaking things out aloud can't be emphasised enough. So yeah. often the way we think it's going to come out is different to how it actually does come out. So practising saying things out aloud is really, really important. So true. Yeah. So what's next? What's on the agenda for this year? Anything coming up? I've just got off a Zoom call. I'm on a Zoom call. I, I can't, <laughs> can't mention more details at the moment, but it's a really exciting project with um, to do with fashion. That's that's all I say. But I'm consulting with the, the national organisation who want to be inclusive and diverse, but want a few a few pointers on how to best do that, I suppose. So I'm absolutely thrilled because I've been on their case for years and I've finally decided to, to have a chat and shut me up. That is so exciting. See, you heard it here first. <laughs> True. And so, so, Lisa, what would you say to, to somebody else who might have been in a similar situation to yourself who either is living with a disability either from birth or through something happening, like in your case, and they are really struggling to find their voice and be able to speak their truth, what would you say to them? Start small. You don't have to go out on the cover of the Sydney Morning Herald straight away. Um, Start small, whether it's uh, a social media post or something like that, just to get your confidence up and and find, find the right language that you want you want to put forward as as your own. I suppose I'm uh, a really fierce advocate now, but I am in some ways grateful that I didn't have access to an Instagram account 16 years ago when I first acquired my disabilities because I would have been saying all sorts of weird and wonderful things that really were either not right in that they were the incorrect language to use um, in the disability community or that they just aren't true today so starting starting really small and getting comfortable with with sharing your thoughts even if it is to just a really close circle family friends my husband hears far too much of (laughs) all, all the things running through my head and then grow that slowly that's fantastic advice. Progress over perfection, isn't it? It's just exactly one small step. Right. Sometimes things can seem so so enormous. You know, we compare yes. ourselves to somebody else who's a lot oh, further yeah. along and just think we can get there tomorrow, you know. That's exactly right. Don't compare your beginning with somebody else's halfway or end point or, or something like that. So I would absolutely hate anybody just starting out now to look at what I'm doing or somebody else is doing because I've been doing this for over over a decade now so certainly not comparable love that and Lisa was there anything else you wanted to add nothing that I can think of unless there are brand managers and other business decision makers out there who would like to include representation and disability in their brand business strategy please get in touch 
Yeah, that was my next question. How can people work <laughs> with you or reach out to you? Well, my website, lisacox.co, L-I-S-A-C-O-X.co, is one way. It's got a backstory on there as well. And that's also my Instagram handle, lisacox.co. I am on other platforms, but very rarely check them. I think, you know, I think it took me six months to reply to a LinkedIn <laughs> message from you or somebody else <laughs> recently. But um, Instagram is, is definitely the platform where I, I spend most of my time and do most of my work. Oh, fantastic. Lisa Cox, thank you so much for joining That Voice podcast. Thank you, Sally. Thanks for listening to That Voice Podcast. For episode details straight to your inbox, leave your email at www.thatvoicepodcast.com.